If you would turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, please. We've been in this series of study for a while now, and we've actually been looking at Romans chapter 5 for about the last three weeks, and we've learned that Romans chapter 5, it deals with this, this big thing called justification, where God makes us right. That's what justification really means. God makes all that's wrong in our lives right. And so we looked last week at the benefit of justification, one of them being that we have peace with God and that we have access to God. Like, that's a great benefit of this. And now this morning, we're going to look at another benefit of justification, and that is this, that Jesus makes us kings again. And you'll see what I mean as we go through this message, how, what, that, what that means. So in the Bible, there are concepts that go together. They just sort of pair up really nicely. Um, for example, the concepts of wisdom and courage. Those work really well together. Because wisdom is not, wisdom is not just knowing the right thing to do. It's actually doing it. That's what wisdom is. And so, obviously... If I know the right thing to do, but I don't have the courage to do it, what's the point of knowing the right thing to do? So wisdom and courage go hand in hand. Or God's power and God's promises, they also go together. Because what makes God's promises so awesome is God has the power to deliver on those promises. If God doesn't have the power to deliver on his promises, then his promises are just nice thoughts. But there's so much more than that. So God's promises, God's power, they pair up. Or grace and truth is another one, two concepts that go together. John chapter 1 says that Jesus came to us full of grace and truth. So those go very well because if Jesus was all truth, well, that would be harsh. You ever noticed how truth has a way of cutting us sometimes? <laughs> and we all need it. We definitely need to get hit between the eyes every once in a while. We need the cold, hard truth at times. But Jesus pairs that with grace. Jesus is the ultimate velvet hammer. Love him. But if Jesus was all grace and not truth, what is he? He's just a mush bucket. He's, he's a pansy. It's, he's a, easy to manipulate. And so grace and truth go hand in hand. We want them both together. This morning, we're going to look at another pair of concepts that go together in the Bible. The first, it's this, God's, or, or the doctrine of original sin and salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. These two concepts go hand in hand. Now, when we're talking original sin, let me define what that is. Original sin is not committing sin. Original sin is we're all born with this bent towards it, this tendency towards wrong. That's original sin. You know that a newborn probably has not committed a sin. True? But yet a newborn is still born with sin because that person, that little tiny beautiful person is born with the potential and the tendency, the bent, away from God. When our, our oldest daughter, Catherine, was just a wee little thing, she was not, I don't even think, two years old yet, and Karis 
was pregnant with our son, and so Catherine had, she got an upgrade from the crib to the big girl bed, so we had to make room in the crib for Caston, who was still coming, and so Catherine was in her big girl bed, and I go one night to kiss her goodnight, and we did our nighttime routine. We, would, uh, mem- we memorized Bible verses together, and then we would pray together, and we would talk, and sometimes I'd tell a story, and sometimes those nighttime rituals could get long. But we would have a great little conversation. I loved them. Can I just tell you I miss those nights terribly as a dad? And on this night, I go to kiss Catherine goodnight, and uh, I look up on the wall, and she's got a collection of nose residue on the wall. <laughs> Shall we just call them boogers? That's what they were, boogers. Little hard, crusty ones all over the wall. And I was grossed out. And my first reaction was, nasty. So I said, Catherine, who, who did this? Now, she's surrounded by stuffed animals because all of her stuffies went to bed with her every night. And she had her stuffy, her monkey stuffy that was on her chest like this, and she looks up at me with her innocent, well, not at all innocent, her cute little blue eyes, soft and sweet, and she just says, monkey did it, daddy. (laughs) She gave a bold-faced lie right to me. Now, who taught my daughter how to lie? I know it wasn't her mother. She's not. That's not Karis. Who taught her how to lie? Nobody had to teach her how to lie. She was born with original sin. She's bent that direction. It just came out natural because it was in there. (laughs) And you know how I know that? Because it's in me too. And it's in you too. We're all born that way. We're all born with a bent to sin. That's original sin. Now, that goes with this doctrine of salvation by faith, because here's how this goes. Ready? Like original sin, you didn't do anything to get into this mess. Salvation by faith, you didn't do anything to ask Jesus, you didn't do anything to make Jesus come save you. See, original sin is a human problem that needs a divine solution. Let me read my text. It was not your choice to be born with original sin. And it was not your choice to be born, to have Jesus sent to the cross to pay for sin. But it is your choice about what you do with those. That's why the two go together. See, God saw that you had a problem before you saw that you had a problem. And he worked to fix the problem. And now it's your choice. Will you acknowledge the problem and take God's solution, or will I just continue ignoring it? Follow? These two doctrines go together. And this is what Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21 deals with. These last, this last half of Romans chapter 5. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. It's very, it uses a lot of legalese kind of language, and it's not a warm and fuzzy passage. But we're going to read through it, and you'll probably be a little confused, um, as I still am as I read through it. I've read this thing probably a hundred plus times in the last week or two. Still struggle to wrap my brain around the whole thing. But 
We're going to chew on this puppy today, and I think we're going to walk away with some great lessons. So we're going to read verses 12 through 21, and uh, I'll just start. Follow with me. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned, to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So it's kind of, anybody got that on the first read? You need to read it a few times. The, the, the short way to summarize this passage is this. Adam blew it and Jesus fixed it. That's the bottom line here. That's what he's saying. That Adam, the first human being, blew it. And he blew it for all of us. And Jesus came and fixed it. That's the bottom line of this. So, but let's, let's flesh out some more of the details as we go through this, okay? So in, in essence, here's what's happening. When Adam disobeyed God and he ate the fruit from the forbidden tree in the Garden of Eden, he brought sin and death into the human race. But when Jesus obeyed God, and died on the forsaken tree, he brought forgiveness and life into the entire human race. So we have in this passage a contrast between Adam and Jesus. Adam blew it. Jesus fixed it. Adam got us all into this mess. And Jesus gets us all out. And that's the beautiful message of this passage. Verses 12 and 13 Let's just start by walking back through it. Verses 12 and 13. Verse 12 says that sin entered the world through one man. Isn't that interesting? We often blame the devil for bringing sin into the world. But the Bible pl 
places the blame squarely on Adam's shoulders. Sin entered the world through who? Not the devil. It came through Adam and his choice. That's very fitting because we carry the greater glory. We're made in God's image. The devil's not in God's image. He was not made in God's image. We're made in God's image. You understand that when you hold someone accountable for their actions, that's a compliment. Because it says that what you do matters. What you do counts. The decisions you make, they have weight. They're important because you're important. Because of the glory that you carry as one made in God's image. And so it's fitting that Adam would be the one held responsible for introducing sin into this world. Because Adam is the one carrying the image of God, not the devil. Adam made a choice that day. He had two choices. He had the tree of life and he had the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said that you can have anything you want. Just don't eat this tree. Don't eat the fruit from this tree of knowledge. And Adam had a choice before him, life or knowledge. And Adam chose knowledge. Friends, that's all sin is. Sin is any time you and I have a choice between life or something less than life, and we go for the less than. That's what sin is. Adam had, he, he, he downgraded he had the opportunity for life, and he took knowledge instead. And, and when he did, when Adam chose to sin, when he chose the lesser fruit, what Adam did was he actually made a vow with death. And that's what verse 14 says, that death reigned. Then death became king. Death reigned from the time of Adam right up to the time of Moses. Now, what he's talking about there is this. There was a long period of time between Adam and Moses. We don't know how long, a very long period of time between Adam and Moses. All of the people who died between Adam and Moses, they were still under sin. They were still under the sentence of death, but they didn't know why. They were just dying, right and left, and no real explanation for it. Moses is held up in the Bible as the lawgiver. He's the one through whom God expressed his laws. And so what he did was, in effect, God was being gracious through Moses. He was saying, look, here's the reason why you're dying. That's the purpose of the law. The law actually is not a bad thing. You understand what the Bible says. The law is good. The law diagnoses the problem. It says, here's the issue. The reason why you're dying is because of sin. And the reason why you're sinning is because, see, here's these laws. You're breaking these. How many of you know that ignorance is not an excuse for breaking the law? If I'm doing 70 and a 35 and a cop pulls me over, can I claim that I didn't know? I mean, I can claim it, but is it going to float? No, because ignorance is not an excuse for breaking the law. So all of these people between Adam and Moses were dying right and left because they were accountable to something, but they didn't know, what, they didn't know the law. But they were still dying. 
Now you and I know the law. Now we know, oh, this is the reason why we're dying. Got it. Now we have a choice to make. I like how the Message Bible puts it. Like I said, it's helpful sometimes to, uh, to, to read scriptures in different versions because it really does bring out some nuances. And in study, it's really a good thing. So the Message Bible says it this way. It says, sin disturbed relations with God in everything and everyone. But the extent of the disturbance was not clear until God spelled it out in detail to Moses. So everybody was disturbed but they didn't know why. And Moses gave the law, and now we know why. And then we come to verse 15. It simply says, one sin, and many died, one Savior, and many live. From verse 15 to verse 19, it's sort of, uh, sort of a staccato kind of argument, if you will, and it's the same message over and over and over again from different directions. Verse 15 one sin and many died, one Savior and many live. Verse 16, judgment followed sin, salvation followed God's gift. We're going to skip verse 17. Can we do that? Yes, we can because I'm talking right now. So yeah, we're going to skip verse 17. I'm going to get back to that later. I was like, why am I asking you for permission? <laughs> okay, so verse 17. And then verse 18, verse 18 says, one sin got us all into trouble, and one sacrifice got us all out. And then verse 19, Adam disobeyed God and made us all sinners. Jesus obeyed and made us righteous. So boom, 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 boom. He's making the point. What's the point of this passage? Adam blew it. Jesus fixed it. Adam bad. Jesus good. Adam got us into trouble. Jesus got us out of trouble. And the other point that he's making is Jesus' solution, this is important. Jesus' solution to our sin problem is far greater than the sin problem. That's important. You're not even, there's not even a close competition. When you put the two next to each other, forget it. Jesus wins hands down. Can I get an amen on that one? That's what this is saying. That's the, that's the value of what Paul's expressing here. It's not like Jesus somehow barely eked out a victory for you and me. No, 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 no. It was a clear, concise victory nailed down for all of eternity. Jesus defeated everything that Adam made wrong. Jesus made it right. And he did it clearly. That's, verses, that's verse 15 through 19. And then you come to verse 20. The law was added, it says, so that the trespass might increase. Now, this kind of sounds weird. But if you, again, if you read it in the Living Bible, it makes a little bit more sense. The, the, here's the NIV says, the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So now look at it in the Living Bible. It says the Ten Commandments were given so that all could see the extent of their failure to obey God's laws. But the more we see our sinfulness, the more we see God's abounding grace forgiving us. Ah. So the Ten Commandments, the law, it reveals, yes, it reveals how bad I am. 
Oh, yeah. But in fact, when I see that in light of Jesus, all, the, all that my badness does is it actually it, 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 it magnifies the goodness of Jesus to, to take this sinking ship and make it right again. That's, that's what verse 20 is saying in, in a nutshell. It's really depressing if you look at your sin problem without knowing that you've got a Savior. It's actually knowing that I have a Savior that enables me to deal honestly with my sin. Otherwise, we're forced to do what our culture is doing. And we see that all around us. Do you know why our culture does not want to acknowledge that certain behaviors are immoral or wrong or sinful or bad? Do you know why our culture does its very best to try to sugarcoat all of it and just say it's all okay? Do you know why our culture does that? Because our culture does not want to acknowledge Jesus. And without a solution, the best thing you can do is pretend you don't have a problem. It's knowing that Jesus has fixed this that actually gives us the strength, the courage to be able to submit to him and let him fix it. But without Jesus, the, I'm doomed to just pretend like everything's okay. Oh, friends, as we walk in the ways of our first father, Adam, the human race continues to die and kill each other off. Every time we see the news, we mourn. We say another mass shooting, another massacre, another bad thing. We say, oh, why, why, why? When will it stop? Why are we dying? And the Bible says, well, the answer, the reason is this thing called sin. And there is a solution for it. You're not left hopeless. <laughs> oh. That's, verse 21 then concludes the argument. And verse 21 says that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So sin rules by death. But God rules in grace. Now grace is in charge through Jesus. And so if you want to put these two things together, probably it's clear just to line them right up side by side, Adam on one side and Jesus on the other side, and you just run through them and see how they're different. Adam disobeyed, and Jesus obeyed. So you guys read the Jesus one, and I'll read the Adam one. Ready? Adam brought death, Jesus, and Adam imprisoned us in sin, but Jesus and Adam lost innocence, but Jesus, and Adam failed in a garden, but Jesus, he did. Adam rebelled in a garden, but what did Jesus do in a garden? He submitted in a garden. Adam sinned, Jesus, and Adam sought life and brought death as a result. Jesus became death and gave life. Adam said, my will be done. Jesus said, Adam lost the throne, and Jesus reclaimed the throne. The, the difference between these two couldn't be more clear. Jesus clearly 
What is that? I lost my word. He clearly overcomes the, the results of Adam's rebellion against God. The contrast couldn't be more clear. The way of Adam is easily seen all around us. The way of Adam is the way of self. Self-importance, self-identity. Self I get to define who I am. It's me, me, me. My feelings over the facts and a whole lot of brokenness comes as a result. That's the way of Adam. The way of Jesus is love, which is placing others first, elevating others, truth more than my feelings, and peace as a result. In, in committing the first sin, Adam made a covenant with death, and we're all bound to that covenant. The, the problem with that is this. The only way to break a covenant is through death. That's what a covenant is. A covenant is the most severe promise or commitment that you can make. So there's, there's lots of different commitments, contracts, so forth. But a covenant, it beats all the others. The best thing we have to, to illustrate that is marriage. Marriage is a covenant. Because we take these vows before God and our friends, and we say that in sickness and in health, in poverty and wealth, so forth and so on, until what parts us? Death parts us. See, it's, it's a covenant. That's what makes marriage a covenant. The only way, the only, <laughs> there's only one way, Karis, for you to get out of this. I'm sorry, sweetie. That's a heavy, <laughs> oh, well. It's a, it's a, the only way to break a covenant is death. Not that you would ever want to, I'm sure, right? She's back there shaking her head. So what do you do if your covenant, if the only way to get out of covenant is death, what do you do if your covenant's with death? Adam made a covenant with death. Do you see how hopelessly stuck we were? What you need is you need a greater death. So the greatest death of all occurred on the day that God died. His death trumped the other death. He made a bigger covenant. Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood. I'm going to pay for this one with my life. See, he, he defeated the covenant that Adam made with death. And now Jesus offers you and me a whole new way of living, and it's yours free for the taking. I don't know about you, but I want more of Jesus and less of Adam. Adam keeps messing things up. He gets me into trouble. Why do I keep hanging out with that dude? Adam. Huh? He failed dying. He's, yeah, he, he failed dying. I don't know about you. I want more of Jesus and less of Adam. You know, we talk these days about, I'm just going to apply this in one way. We talk these days about, about identity, and, and everybody wants to identify themselves. We want the right to define ourselves. And so whether it's black or white or male or female or gay or straight or you name it, there's a whole list of ways that people try to identify and define themselves. When it comes right down to it, what we're trying to do is we're saying, we're like, it's like we have everybody broken up into these little buckets. 
and I'm saying, okay, this is my bucket. This is the bucket where I belong. I'm defining myself by this bucket right here. The problem with that, friend, is every one of those buckets comes from Adam. That's the problem. And they're all dead. None of them brings life. It's the only problem. Any earthly measure that we use to define ourselves is something that's handed down to us by Adam and not God. And let's make it clear, the only one who has the right to define what you were made for is the one who made you. Amen. He is the potter. We are the clay. We can't define ourselves. Okay. So over in his letter, over in his letter to the Philippian Christians, Philippians chapter 1, verse, 27, verse 21, the Apostle Paul said, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. To live is Christ, to die is gain. In other words, the Apostle Paul had a lot of different ways that he could have defined himself. And he even talked about that. He was a Pharisee. He was pretty proud of his Pharisee, Pharisaism. He was a pretty good Pharisee back in the day. And, and he could have defined himself as a Jew. He was a really good Jew. And he talks about how he, I could define myself as a Jew. I could if I wanted to. I could, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. Are you kidding me? That's a pretty good tribe. And, and he could have defined himself by that. And he says, no, I'm not going to do that. I could define myself as an apostle. As a servant of Christ, I could define myself by all these things. And yet Paul goes, yeah, you know, really, when it comes right down to it, for me to live, it's Jesus. I'm a Jesus guy. That's how he defined himself. So I, I want to ask you this question. How would you define yourself? How would you fill in the blank? Paul says, for me to live, that's Christ. How about you? For me to live is you fill in the blank. I can tell you, friends, there's only two ways to fill in that blank. A anything other than Christ is Adam. It's, it's dying. It's the only, there's only really two ways to fill in that blank. I mean, you can, Adam can be defined all kinds of different ways, but it still comes down to Adam. And so there's only... Jesus is the, defining my life by anything other than Jesus is the way of Adam, and it's the kiss of death on my life. There's one word that describes what Jesus has given to you and me, and it's awesome. You ready? You ready for the word? It's called choice. You got one. That's the beautiful thing. Because prior to Jesus, we didn't have a choice. Prior to Jesus, it was just all the curse of death. That's all it was. And in Jesus, you now have the choice. And that's awesome. I can choose the way of Jesus. It's kind of like, it's kind of like this. I, if you take this little container of water, let me fill it right on up here. It's, I'm thirsty. Mm, it looks good. So this container of water, it, it represents you and me in Adam. This is Adam. Okay, this is us walking in the way of Adam right here. And this is what we all get handed. Um, on the day you were born, you got handed this. It's the way of Adam. Like I said, that's, this is original sin. We're given that. 
Then you come today to a place like today, and you hear this message, and you realize that there's another way. And you hear that this Jesus has actually defeated this old thing. And now you hear the reason. The reason why I'm dying is sin. Jesus is the solution to that. And you decide that you're going to place your faith in Jesus. And so you invite him into your life, and look what happens. The rock comes into your life, and a whole lot of Adam gets dispersed. But there's still a lot of Adam in there. Any of my Christian brothers and sisters still got some Adam? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, every time I make a decision for Jesus, follow this, every, every decision you make for Jesus, you displace a little bit more Adam. I'm going to make another decision for Jesus. Mm-hmm. There, he, there he goes. And you keep doing this over and over and over again. Every decision you make for Jesus, it displaces Adam more Jesus. He must increase. I must decrease. That's what this is all about. The fancy Bible word for this is sanctification. We'll cover it in a little while. But that's what it is. It's I become more and more and more like Jesus and less and less and less like Adam. This is what we're, this is the choice before you and me today, my friends. When you receive Jesus, who are you going to identify yourself with? Adam or Jesus? The truth is, you were meant for so much more than you ever, ever, ever imagined. And that gets us back to verse 17. Remember how I said we'd skip it? So now we're going to come back to verse 17. Let's just read it. I'm going to read it in our Bibles. It says this. Friends, this is a game changer right here. So prepare for, prepare for your game to be changed right here. Verse 17. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? By the sin of Adam, walk through this verse with me. By the sin of Adam, death reigned. Death reigned through that. Now how much more, how much more through will those who receive, those who receive, that's you and me, those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness, how much more will those who receive reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? It's made more clearly. I like the language in the Living Bible for this one again. And it says this, the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to be king over all. But all who seek, all who take God's gift of forgiveness and acquittal are kings of life because of this one man, Jesus Christ. Do you get it? Do you get it? You say, what? You read that correctly, friend. It's actually what the Bible says. I'm not making it up. Adam's actions made death the king. Jesus' actions make you king. 
I'm going to declare it. You are king again. You go, oh, but no, wait a second. Jesus is the king. No, I'm not the king. You're right. Jesus is the king, and I'm not at all dethroning Jesus. You but, but stick with me for a second. Genesis 1.28. Genesis 1.28, it says this. All the way back in the garden, this is before Adam sinned. God says to Adam and Eve, the first couple, he gives them this commission. God blessed them and he said, now you guys be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God told Adam and Eve, you rule over creation. God created you to be the king. That's, that's your destiny. You're meant to be at the top of the created order, not the bottom. And when Adam sinned, what Adam did was he abdicated his throne. And remember the very first thing that happened when Adam sinned? The very first thing that Adam felt was fear. I propose to you that fear is really not part of your DNA. That fear is what got handed down to you by Adam. Your DNA says you're king. The king's not afraid. But Adam sinned, and the moment he sinned, he abdicated his throne, and fear came rushing in. And when Jesus died on the cross, he got the throne back again. Adam lost it, Jesus reclaimed it. And now you have 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.2. It says, if we endure, we, that's you and me, my friend, will also reign with him. That's Jesus. And then I love the words of Jesus in Revelation chapter 3, verse 21. This is the words of Jesus speaking. He says, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. <laughs> Jesus gives you the right to sit with him on his throne. I say it again, Adam lost it, Jesus came, reclaimed it, and then he hands it to you and to me, he reclaimed it for us. And so now you and I don't have to live in the way of Adam anymore, that's just, that's just not fitting, it's not who you are, you've been given a choice. So let's leave Adam in the dust today where he belongs, and let's fix eyes on Jesus my friend, I'm not making it up. Jesus came to make us kings again. Doesn't the Bible say that Jesus is the king of kings? Who do you think that's talking about? Who are the kings? Yeah. Understand what Jesus has bought for you, and you'll never have another bad day again. I mean, you'll have a few hard days, don't get me wrong. But never a bad day. Adam got us into trouble. Jesus got us out. Jesus is the king and he makes you king. Because he lives, you live. Because he reigns, you reign. Because he wins, you win. Because he's victorious, you are victorious. And furthermore, verse 21, it says this. Death used to be the king. Verse 21, but now grace is the king. So in other words, through Jesus, there's a new king in town, and you lead this thing. Your leadership is marked by grace. There's a new king in town, and the leadership is marked by grace. Not death. 
not sin. Friends, that's something we're celebrating. Do you understand? Do you understand how empty it is when the world, our culture, even the church sometimes does these positive messages where they just beef people up and tell them how great they are, but they do it without Jesus? Do you understand that Jesus is the greatest thing we've got going? And, and, and Jesus shares this throne with you and me. Do you catch that? Do you hear his heart for you? You got to hear his heart. You've heard me say it before. Jesus is the groom and the church is the bride. Jesus is not interested in being unequally yoked for all of eternity. He gave us the command to not be unequally yoked. He's not going to break his own command. He's desiring to have a people to himself. As he said it, not I said it, to reign with him. That's breathtaking. That's your destiny in Christ. Do you understand? Your destiny in Adam is death. Brokenness, death. Your destiny in Christ, wholeness, life, reigning eternally at his side in a mutual love relationship with the second person of the Trinity as his bride. The choice could not be more clear. Friends, one other thing. You know, there's one thing that I just love about the Trinity, and that's, I, I love how Father, Son, Holy Spirit are constantly got, gotten each other's backs. Have you noticed that in the Bible? The father's like, oh, it's all about the son. And the son says, I only want to glorify the father. And then the son says, and Jesus goes, hey, don't, don't, anybody, don't anybody diss the Holy Spirit. You'll never be forgiven for that one. And the Holy Spirit says, oh, but Jesus, it's all about you. Like the Trinity's constantly doing that between father, son, and Holy Spirit. It's, it's cool. You get to be a part of that? You hear this? You're not the king because you're so cool. You're the king because Jesus reclaimed the throne for you and he wants to share it with you. And so now, to the degree that you honor Jesus as king, he wants to honor you as king. Ouch. They go together. Do you hear that? Jesus, I'm all about you. And you know Jesus is such a good lover, he makes it all about you. And you go, but Jesus, I want to make it all about you. And he says... I'm going to make it all about you. And this defines your relationship with Jesus in a nutshell. To the degree that I die to myself and make it all about him, I humble myself before him, he seeks to exalt me. It's a beautiful, intimate relationship that he's inviting us into. And that beats what Adam messed up 